on this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, thinking differently about classroom design. This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Galveston College in Texas is thinking differently about classroom design. The college is partnering with PBK, an architectural and engineering design firm, to develop specific classroom designs that are responsive to student needs and challenges, and with elements that look and feel like the practical areas they'll be working in. Cliff Whittingstall is a managing partner at PBK. He tells Ed Scoop's Lindsay McKenzie about the project. There was a big trend of, you know, my parents, the Generation Xers, their parents told them, you have to go to a four-year university. You know, they, most of them didn't go. They felt their kids needed to go. And that has shifted to the millennials and the Gen Zs. Their parents aren't telling them, hey, you have to go to a four-year university. There's a lot of merit in going to a two-year college or going to get your certificate at a technical institute because there's just a massive shortage right now of, of labor. So electricians, mechanics, uh, plumbing, and nursing. And so the project that we're doing at Galveston College is teaching the next generation of workforce in the allied health industry. So radiology, uh, nursing, lab techs, physical therapy, uh, it's one of our top building types at BBK. We do a lot of what we call allied health and just training this massive shortage that we have in the industry uh, for workforce, and in this case, at Galveston and allied health. So in that healthcare and health sciences setting, what are some of the things that you have to think about in the design concept? And is this a brand new building or is it a conversion? It, this one is a brand, brand new building. And it is actually elevated off the ground plane because of the hurricanes and flooding in Galveston. So that that was a challenge. But the biggest thing we try to do with workforce type buildings is create a setting, a classroom setting that is realistic to where they're going to go actually work. So in this case, at Galveston College, the corridors leading into the labs need to look like a hospital. That the simulation mannequins that we use for, like, say, nursing skills and nursing simulation. They actually are programmed by computers and someone can control them and say that they're having a stroke or a coughing attack or whatever it may be. So the nurse in training has to react to the sim mannequin in real time. And then they go to a debriefing room and they're told how uh, what they did well and what they could work on. And it's the technology is a big part of those buildings and they're making them look like, in this case, a hospital type setting. So in addition to actual medical equipment, what kind of the, uh, excuse me, what kind of AV equipment do you have in those classroom settings? So uh, a difference, each client is different. Some want cameras throughout, some don't. Um, most of them want to be able to record the actual learning of on the sim mannequin so mm -hmm. that they can go back and replay it. Uh, some want the control booth to be away from the actual simulation lab. Some want it to be right in front. Um, some want the classroom to be in the skills or simulation labs. So you have your classroom in there, and then you just get up and walk a couple feet to each of the beds that surround the room. I think another big technology we're seeing, not just at Galveston, but others, is, is distance learning uh, capabilities. So if you're in a classroom, uh, the professor may be wherever in the world. And so, for example, we did a new project at Texas A&M McAllen down in what we call the Valley of Texas. And it was a brand new building, brand new campus for the Texas A&M system. 
but they wanted professors in the College Station campus to teach there. So we had to have cameras set up in the classroom, not only in our building, but where they're teaching from to be able to live stream video and a professor could be teaching from their office with the, at College Station. That's a big future right now I see in higher education is to, to have that flexibility, not only have your, your everyday professor, but to be able to live stream somebody, a guest lecturer, whoever uh, throughout the world. So at Galveston, you could have somebody at a hospital or a doctor or a nurse somewhere to be able to live stream into the classroom. Does that impact the design of, you know, when I think of a traditional lecture hall, I'm thinking sure. of something that looks like a theater with kind of a stage or a podium mm -hmm. and many, many, many rows of seats. Is that sort of a thing of the past, do you think? Almost. I think <laughs> it depends on the class. So if you have your typical English 101 or, bio, or not biology, but like English uh, history, it's something that's lecture based for a freshman class where you can have hundreds of people. I think the tiered lecture hall is still valid. I mean, in the allied health world that we do a lot of, it's still nice to have a tiered lecture hall where all the cohorts of nursing to get together in one classroom. So if a cohort is 16 to 20 people you can, and you have two or three of them, you can bring them into one. And what we like to do in those lecture halls is make them a U-shaped and they can roll in the mannequin in the middle of them and they all can look down. So they're still there, but there's a lot less of them. Today, it's really more about a flat floor movable furniture, what we call pods of groups, collaboration. You know, I always say my my son picked up my iPhone. He went in two years old and he started using it. I didn't have a cell phone until I got married and I was 30. So it's just a completely different uh, student. And they they just, they don't know anything different than technology. And they don't know anything about being able to, to collaborate with people that they're not even with. And so we try to create classroom env environments that are flat, a lot of technology. Think of every wall as a front of the classroom in many ways. And they all have marker boards. Um, they have all have either projectors or televisions. Um, and I do think um, another pro project that I'm working on right now is the real future of learning, in my opinion. And you know, Facebook changed its name to Meta, and it's about full immersion. And we're doing a classroom building at the University of Mary Harden Baylor where every surface in the room is a big, large projected screen and it interacts with you. So you're fully immersed in the environment. So for this example, it's actually to help train teachers to teach uh, special needs children. And so say the whole room is like an aquarium. So you walk up and you can actually touch the fish and they'll swim away. And to me that, you can't do that in a tiered lecture hall, for example. And so that I actually think is the next level along with uh, virtual reality. It's interesting you mentioned those immersive environments because I, when I think of VR, I think of just headsets, but it is kind of moving beyond that. Although yeah. I am curious how you design for students using headsets because I mean, sure. it depends on the technology, but um, I think they probably need quite a lot of space around them. Yeah, it so did. is I, it just a square room? Is that is that kind of the design idea? You know, ironically, it's the same size as a regular classroom. It's not any less. So we'll just, since we're talking about Galveston and Allied Health, I'll just use that as an example. You know, it's about repetition. It's about getting as many IVs put in place, for example. And so if you do it on a virtual reality, you can do more of them. 
faster. It's like um, in the college world, quarterbacks are putting them on to study defenses faster versus being on the field. Not any different than what we're doing in our classrooms with virtual reality is putting them in an environment where they can see it digitally and do more of it faster. You know, the same in workforce where you can look virtually at like a, an air conditioner and start touching it uh, and working with it versus uh, going through a lot of actual physical air conditioning units as well. It's definitely the future of uh, virtual reality for sure. I know that you're designing for distance learning in a lot of cases, but in the pandemic, there was a lot of, um, you know, putting up barriers between students and making sure that they weren't too close to each other. Is that still a consideration now, just in case we end up in another pandemic situation, or is that not something that institutions are asking for anymore? They're not asking for it as much, but I think the list of lessons learned that we all created from that that year, uh, PBK actually uh, had a brochure based on it and some things that we learned. I think that are still relevant today if it were to happen again. And some of them, you know, are actually good things that we're just going to continue to do, like hygiene and other parts of the building, the restrooms and janitor's closets and other things that we should do. Uh, you know, the pandemic opened our eyes to that and we should do it anyways. But the, the nice thing about the new active learning environment of collaboration, those classrooms actually have to be larger than a standard classroom where everybody faces the front of the room because you wanna be able to maneuver the tables and have pods of two, three, four, five, six people. And those just take up more space to be able to have those many pods. So the square footage of a classroom grew about 20% or so. And so that actually helps if we were to have those happen again, uh, to have uh, space between students. Are you able to think ahead to where furniture might be laid out in a classroom and assign plug sockets so that students yes. can put in their laptops and things? Absolutely. That was something that really bothered me in my lecture hall. <laughs> so there was never any plug. Well, that's a great question. So about two, three years ago, we we decided in the higher education department of PBK that the furniture was even in many ways more important than the actual space itself. So we developed our own in-house internal um, interior design department that specialized in furniture. And it used to be you would select the furniture after the building was designed and you would order it. We selected day one with the client and the users and laid out and then exactly what you just said, make sure there's a plug or a USB cable or something right near every student, not only in the classroom, but in what we call the sticky spaces the study spaces, the collaboration spaces in the halls, in the corridors, um, anywhere that you, they, they gather anywhere they can, anywhere they can sit and have a plug, they will sit and open up their laptop. And so we wanna make sure that that power and, and Wi-Fi is not only in the classrooms, but throughout the entire building, it's important. You mentioned Wi-Fi there, and I am curious about that telecommunications networking side of mm -hmm. the design. If you're constructing a brand new building and maybe it's in an area of the campus that isn't already very well connected, how do you approach that? Do you talk with IT staff? What is the yeah. direction there? Yeah, most of our clients that we deal with have a director of IT on staff that works with, we hire IT designers as well as part of our team of consultants. And we all get together in a room and 
we evaluate how many racks you need for the building, um, how to get the power, the sources to the to the building, the fiber, and if there is Wi-Fi coverage in the area, how to to boost it for that building. And that's that's a big part of our design, just like we do with the mechanical air conditioning systems, uh, with the structural engineers. They are a consultant as part of our team to help make sure that every student has access to that. Have you designed any standalone data centers? I know that's something a lot of institutions are looking at. <laughs> we personally have not, uh, but most of them do. Just like in an urban city, they do have standalone data centers. Um, and they have to be a lot more robust right now, especially you know technology changes every day and they, students want more high speed power devices to be able to use, not only that they bring personally, uh, because they also bring out, know, they could bring an Apple Watch an Apple iPhone, an Apple laptop. They could have three to four devices that each one brings. So you need to make sure you have enough power and capability to handle that. Plus the computer labs, cybersecurity, and other things that are happening, uh, they need to be strong to be able to handle all the bandwidth of all those, those students. I uh, listened to a webinar recently about the future of computer labs, and it mentioned that you know, the rows and rows of monitors and computers is kind of a thing of the past, like we were talking about. It's more about providing the power source and students bringing their own laptops. But I, I'm curious if you are designing spaces that have monitors and big displays that students can connect to. Is that more of a trend that you're seeing? We're, we're seeing it all over. Uh, just like you said, some was like, we're just going to provide power. They're going to bring their own. Um, some they'll have uh, the you know the desktops which we'll call are so much smaller now they'll have those hidden under the desk um, some some of the furniture we do is actually where the computer and monitor can actually go down into the desk so now you have a workable surface but the biggest change I've seen is just the computer technology of monitors and screens uh, the prices have come way down so to get larger monitors we're designing stuff for cybersecurity and other things that look like NASA. <laughs> you just walk in, it's just rooms filled with big monitors. And you, like you said, you can plug into them or a student can um, or the professor can. And it's it's just collaborative. And okay, hey, student X, can you show us what you have on your screen? And they can hit a button and it pops up there. So it's just really cool stuff. And then it's again, it's about the student that's now they're trying to recruit. Uh, it, there's a lot of options for students to go to. They want to make sure they have the highest technology. And a lot of them will showcase those labs right at the front of the lobby and have glass. So if you're recruiting a student, you can see it. Another big one that we're seeing is e-gaming. E-gaming is becoming a major sport and a lot of universities. And they put a lot of those at the front too, to showcase those and show the, the nice computers, the bigger monitors, and then the big play screen, you know, where you can see everybody compete against each other. I've seen some very flashy gaming rooms here. Very. It's a good way to recruit students, right? You want you yeah. want students to come to your university, so you have to adapt to the times. Is there any advice you would give to faculty and staff who want to give feedback in the design of a new building or facility? I guess it's something that hopefully the institution and you would organize, but... <laughs> Um, what kind of information is helpful for an architect to hear in designing a space? We typically meet with multiple user groups. They consist of deans, uh, they consist of faculty and staff, 
And then normally each university or college has their own planning directors of construction, maintenance staff as well. So you look at it from every type of viewpoint. One is the professor and the faculty and staff that use the building every day. So you need to make sure it works for their needs. The other is the student. So a lot of times we'll have meetings. You, give, you bring pizza, they'll come, right? So you get some pizza, and you get their feedback, and you try to figure out what they really want in buildings. And then I think another very, very important part of what we do in designing is the maintenance staff. You know, you design the building and it's it's great day one, but you have people on staff at a university that have to maintain it. So our challenge as an architect is to listen to all three of those user groups and make sure not only is it on time, so on time typically means it needs to open by a semester so the students can use it, on budget, so you're typically given a budget as an architect saying we need to build this building up, say, $20 million, and that's the budget. You better not design something that's over that because then you've got to make redesign it and get it to that budget. And then works. And so the faculty and staff need to be able to teach the students in it. The, the technology needs to work. The acoustics in the space need, they need to be easy to hear them. Um, and, and so that's fine. I think, you know, having to, um, the biggest challenge I always say is getting all those people to agree on an item, right? So a, prof a professor needs to be able to teach in it, a student learn in it, and the university maintain it. And so if you just take one classroom, those three things have to happen. And they're investing a lot of money into these buildings. And so they, most of our clients want 50 to 100 year build, building age. So you have to be able to design it to last that long. And so it's fun. I, I, I enjoy working with people at PBK. We're always about relationships. And it's always fun to go work for them again and, and then go see how the building's working for them. 50 years is a really long time to be thinking Absolutely. ahead. <laughs> you, well, you really have no idea what the technology will be in, in 50 sure. years time. Um, I guess that's where the flexibility comes in, right? Yes. Moving furniture and things. Yes, you want to design a building where the structures, so the columns and the beams and the floor and the roof and the skin, if it's brick, most of the time it's brick or metal panel on the windows last 50 years. Mm -hmm. Then you have to be able to adapt internally to new materials, new carpets, new finishes, but most importantly, what you said, technology changes every day. So be able to adapt to get, a, in many cases, a bigger screen, <laughs> right? They're not getting smaller. And and that's that's also, we have those conversations all the time to make sure if you can't afford an outlet, you know, every two feet, but be able to have the infrastructure to put outlets in the future to adapt if that room were to change. We've mentioned Galveston and a couple of other projects. Are there any that you're particularly excited about right now or that you think have been particularly interesting and want to highlight? We asked, I talked a little bit about the project we're doing at the University of Maryland Baylor that's full immersion. And so um, it's to help train students to teach for special needs. And I, that's a really cool project that the technology that they're using to um, help the special needs in the community. Um, and help the, the students learn to teach full immersion robotics. Uh, they're, they're able to like program a robot to go through a city scape on the floor. Uh, they have playgrounds inside, which is atypical. Very cool project. That one is under construction right now. I think all of our workforce projects, just because it's needed, it, it's just 
there's such a shortage right now. If anyone's tried to buy a car or a dishwasher or anything, there's such a long lead time. And it's the same with our, our buildings. Uh, we need more people to build them. And I think all those are, are very, very fun to do because it's helping, it's helping the community. And then we're also doing a lot of what we call welcome centers and one-stop shops. So places that help recruit people to your campus, welcome them with signage and exhibits and places to take selfies, right? <laughs> with, this, with the signage of the university, but also where an existing student can go into one spot and register, pay bills, get tutoring, get advice, take tests, and just make it really flexible and easy for them to go to one spot and get everything done in a one-stop shop. A lot of universities are changing that where, because they have those departments throughout the entire campus and a student has to go walk, you know, 10 different spots to get those into one spot. We're working on about three or four of those right now. Seems to be a new, new mindset to not only recruit students, but to keep the existing students happy. I definitely had to navigate multiple buildings to <laughs> For sure. find, you know, you're housing. Here, get your and, parking pass yeah. over here, do this. And it's just getting it all in one spot, make it easier for them. And it's like an Apple sense. store. Some of them we mm-hmm. design like an Apple store where you basically go in a lobby and they come to you with an iPad. Say, okay, what can we help you with today? Well, I need to pay this bill. I need to get this and do that. And they click it and they walk them right to those spots. Cliff Woodingstall, managing partner at PBK and the architect designer behind new classrooms at Galveston College. You can read more about him and classroom design at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Coming in two weeks from EdScoop and StateScoop, the 2023 IT Modernization Summit. This year's virtual summit takes place on September 19th. You'll hear from more than two dozen of the top leaders in higher education and state and local government on all things digital transformation. Register now for StateScoop and EdScoop's IT Modernization Summit on September 19th. You can find links for the summit in today's show notes and always at edscoop.com. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. Carlin Fisher and Adam Butler help make it happen and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.